Welcome back, everybody, to the Silver and Black Pride Cast. It's Levi Damien here, as uh, is often the case. I am joined by my partner in crime, Tyler Smith, a.k.a. Raider Domus, and we are going to talk about the cutdowns and who made the 53-man roster and the hard knocks, the finale, and uh, whatever else pops into our uh, disgusting, crazy little heads. Uh, um, so Tyler, uh, let's start with the cut downs. Uh, let's go, let's start with the quarterbacks, uh, lead us out. Well, the quarterback battle was pretty interesting in training camp. Um, Mike Glennon looked good. I thought Nathan Peterman looked a little bit better. Unfortunately, Peterman, as we saw during hard knocks, uh, this evening, as we're recording this on Tuesday night, uh, he got hurt on a sack where his arm was sort of bent backwards when he was passing the ball, um, but he played through the injury and played through the rest of the game. Unfortunately, he had to go on IR, so they, that uh, left just Derek Carr and Mike Lennon, which enabled the Raiders to bring in Deshaun Kaiser. Um, I didn't necessarily expect the Raiders to keep three quarterbacks because they had so many other guys that I know they wanted to keep, um, but three quarterbacks we have now. I'm just Kind of disappointed Peterman's not on the roster because even though I wrote an article about um, maybe a little over a month ago saying how terrible Nathan Peterman was and what a bad idea it was that uh, John Gruden was really starting to like the guy, um, I like the guy too. So I'm uh, a little disheartened that he's not on the team anymore. Wow. So he's starting to grow on you too. This he certainly Nate is Peterman like a guy is really growing on you too, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I thought the whole thing was just, just it was just so weird. The whole the whole quarterback thing is like so they they signed Deshaun Kaiser and you and you think, okay, well, they they you know brought in Kaiser apparently was Mayock's like top quarterback in uh, a couple years ago when he came out, the the highest ceiling he thought he had, and you're just like, All right, well, they have Kaiser, they're gonna be Letting go one of the other quarterbacks, you know, that's kind of a it's gonna kind of a given, right? They're not gonna keep they're not gonna have four quarterbacks, right? And then when they official on the guy that they let go is drum roll, Josh Morrow, whiskey tango foxtrot. <laughs> Didn't I expect know. that. So then everybody really was like, Really? They got four quarterbacks, so what's going on? And and my first thought was that, okay, so what could be the method to their madness? Because there's no freaking way they're keeping four quarterbacks. They're they gotta be they gotta be some kind of plan here. And I was thinking, well, maybe they're trying to trade one of these guys. Maybe that's what it is. They're just they're working on a trade that's in the works, maybe, and they wanted to jump on Kaiser to make sure nobody else got him or something like that. And you know, you know, they're trying to get a little something for Glennon or Peterman. Um, I'm not that high on Peterman not because of his past or anything like that. I just, I looked at what he did in those games and he, like his last start there against the Seahawks, he averaged 5.2 yards per attempt. That, that what Mac Brown had in yards per carry 5.3, which I found, I was just kind of looking at the box score. And when I found that number, I was like, okay, that's, that's absurd. And, and, you know, you can complete a lot of passes, but if they're all just like little dink and dunk things, and we found out last season, 
that Derek Carr can rack up over 4,000 yards and dink and dunk, and the Raiders can go nowhere with that. Uh, you can't, yeah, he you can can't do that 38 times forever. a game. He can do that 38 times a game, and you'll go 5-11 and 11 if you do that, um, but you will certainly get your stats. Yeah, that's the thing. Your drives will eventually stall. I mean, you can dig and dunk, and you can pick up a couple first downs, something like that, and you can get five completions and pick up 20 yards and then punt. I mean, you're not you're not doing much. But anyway, you know, I don't want to I don't trash Peter too much. His uh his previous bugaboo was the fact that he kept throwing interceptions, and now he's like extra careful trying to take care of the ball. He's not taking any chances. And you hear, you know, uh, and I saw Gruden and. It, it, you know, it practices saying similar things that you saw him on Hard Knocks, where he's like, he wants Peterman to push the ball down the field, and he's just not because he sees Glennon come out there and throw three near interceptions, or in other games, he actually turns the ball over a couple times. And he's thinking, hey, as long as I don't turn the ball over, you know, I'm going to be in J- Gruden's good graces here. I'm not, I'm not throwing the ball to the other team. That's what everybody's on my case about. So as long as I don't do that, I'll be good to go. So apparently that was enough. Um, he 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 grew on you. He grew on Gruden, and uh, and unfortunately he messed up his uh, his knee. I mean, not his knee, his elbow there, and he landed on partial season IR because that's why he had to be on the roster. Because apparently it was just too he was just too important for the possibility that he could be back. cut down because that would have him out the entire season and so in a few games they're going to have to well they're going to have to decide whether they want uh peterman to be on the active roster um whether they want because they're not gonna i mean that's that's what they're you're headed for right because if he's going to be out for only a short period of time maybe um half the season or something uh partial season ir then at that point they're going to have to revisit who they want to keep on the roster. Yeah, they're going to have to make an opening somewhere at some point. Yeah, because they're not going to they're not going to be like, oh, come on back, Peterman. Now we'll have we'll keep four quarterbacks now. Like, I would I assume they wouldn't do that. Uh, well, we assume, but I'm not going to put that past John Gruden. No, yeah, Gruden loves his quarterbacks, and he always thinks he can he can uh, he takes these these projects and he can he can create something great, even though. We haven't. I mean, his most successful quarterbacks were like long term, like long in the tooth savvy veterans, like Rich Gannon and and uh, you know Brad Johnson, guys like that. It was Brad Johnson. That's the <laughs> that was the other guy. I'm like Brad something, and the, with Bucks, yeah, um, yeah. So it's not like he's he's had a history of taking these young quarterbacks with a supposed high ceiling and creating something great from them uh who knows maybe uh peterman maybe is due maybe peterman or kaiser's the kaiser's the guy who knows well about about kaiser Kaiser was mike mayock's favorite quarterback in that particular draft a draft which i might Mm -hmm. add uh gave us patrick mahomes and deshaun watson in the first round that year uh so mayock liked him more than either of those two guys who have proven to be high level starters so as far as Mayock is concerned, there's some talent there, and maybe John Gruden could get something out of him. Who knows? The question is, yeah. Well, the question is though, is I mean, do we really think that this was Mayock's idea, or was this 
I mean, because Gruden's the quarterback guy. Gruden wants to bring in a quarterback. I mean, um, he could probably just kind of look over at Mayock and say, what do you think? And Mayock could be like, two thumbs up because he was my guy coming out of the draft. I absolutely approve. But I, it's a question of, I mean, who was the one pounding the table to bring in Kaiser? Was it Mayock because he was his number one guy or was it Gruden, the quarterback guy? Mm-hmm. I don't think we'll ever know the answer to that question. And I'm, I'm not sure it matters at this point. Yeah, they're going to be in lockstep on whatever that decision is going to be. All right, so let's move on to, from the quarterbacks. Uh, it's the most uh, important position in football. But uh, let's uh, let's look at the running backs, where um, I think the the real you know shocker decision was the fullback keeping the undrafted Alec Ingold over uh, the veteran, the savvy veteran Keith Smith. Um, Keith Smith didn't. Uh, didn't last very long as uh, he was unemployed for very long. He lasted about a day before he was, he was signed by the Falcons. So he, he certainly, he has value and the Falcons saw it. What did you, uh, did you think that Ingold deserved the job over him? I kind of did. Um, I kind of saw this coming uh, in the first preseason game against the Rams. Keith Smith was out with injury and Alec Ingold really showed up in the passing game. Um, his, his blocking can be improved. Um, but as far as a target for, for Mike Lennon and, and Nathan Peterman later on in the game, he was really solid. Uh, and I know Gruden likes to run the spider two wide banana play. And who's the top target in the spider two wide banana play? It's the fullback. Uh, and Ingold showed that he can handle that um, a lot better, I think, than Keith Smith has proven over the years, even though he did score a passing touchdown against the Packers. Um, but I think Ingold certainly did enough to earn the job. And uh, Keith Smith missing that much time with injury, I think, just put him behind the eight ball. So I, I did expect that move. Well, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that. Um, I thought that they were going to go with Keith Smith as the Keith Smith as you know, um, Masaccia's guy, his special teams guy, as much as he liked him. But I have to say that. I mean, we saw that Ingold proved that he could do the things on offense as a fullback that Keith Smith can do, and I think maybe even a little better. But really what was going – at the end of the day, what was going to get Ingold on this roster is whether he could play special teams. And I saw him make a couple of uh, special teams tackles, and I think that was what put him over the edge. I think that was what did it. Um, Gruden saw a, uh, you know, a, cut, a little bit of a cut above – talent and he saw enough on special teams to say okay let's uh let's make a change here and uh so and when you're talking about a fullback and there's it's it's so it's like i don't want to say it's exactly the same as trying to judge a long snapper but it's it's not all that far off i mean you you he's got to be able to block he's got to be able to catch and he's got to be and in this case he's got to play special team and i think in gold showed that um but uh he wasn't the only you know decision to make on the offense i think i think there were actually you know there was a decision between doug martin and deandre washington that had to be made as well i don't i'm not i'm not buying this you know you know doug martin place on injured reserve that he's injured because they really they reached an injury settlement with him already um if they really intended on him being you know being their, their second back behind Josh Jacobs that would have waited whatever game or two, whatever it took for 
for him to get healthy again. Uh, and then, you know, went with him then, but I think they, uh, I think they liked uh, DeAndre Washington enough to make that change. Do you see, uh, I mean, I saw, I saw, I saw a different DeAndre Washington. I don't know about you, but I saw, I saw a guy who early in his, in, when I watched his college tape before the Raiders ever drafted. And when I watched his college tape, I, I wasn't impressed. I didn't like what I saw. Um, I didn't have him on my Raiders draft radar because he just, he danced too much. He did a lot of wasted movement. He, he would do a lot of, um, you know, stutter stepping that wouldn't anything except for allow the defender to get get more time to tackle him and i saw in his i saw also he'd take a lot of clean shots a lot of really hard hits in practice and in games and i didn't see that deandre washington this preseason i saw a very different player and i think he earned his roster spot yeah i saw a guy who has matured a lot over the last year um, even from, from last season and two seasons ago, he was almost a completely different person. I mean, I saw him play at college, too, at Texas Tech, and he's you know, almost a, a typical what you would call a Big 12 running back. The, in that conference, they pass constantly. And they, at Texas Tech didn't run between the tackles a whole lot. It's almost like Washington State in that regard. You know, they have the air rate, and, and that's what they do. And, and Washington was more of a run and catch the ball out of the backfield and try to make somebody miss guy. And when you have a... Uh, offense like the Raiders that likes to run between the tackles, uh, he just didn't. He really just didn't fit in my mind, um, and I didn't think he fit in the John Gruden offense. But in this preseason, he's been running hard. He's been making one cut and going. He has been running with authority, and he seems like he knows what he's doing. So I definitely support him being on the roster right now over over Doug Martin, who's a year older than he was last season when he was pretty good, uh, but nothing special. I think Washington could be something special as a backup. Yeah, I think they could have gone either way, but I think it really what it comes right down to is is the youth factor. You know, you get a lot more speed. Um, I don't know, maybe not a lot more. I mean, Doug Moore, Martin still got some something left. He's, I mean, averaged four point two yards per carry last season. Uh, he's still got something left, and uh, I I hope that he catches on someplace else. But I think it's just a matter of. I think it comes right down to, you know, the youth thing. If you can take the, the younger, you know, supposedly faster running back over the 30 year then uh, at that position especially you do it. So uh, let's move on to the wide receivers where uh, there was a, a glut of receivers on this team. I thought I thought it was crazy when it occurred to me the other day that, I mean, if you consider Dwayne Harris as more of a special teams guy, then the Raiders have entirely, absolutely, entirely new wide receiving core. There's not a single wide receiver on this team that was on this team last season. Um, like I said, if you consider Dwayne Harris a special teams guy, he's kind of he can do some gadget stuff too, but that's really what he is. And uh and there was a lot of guys that they uh, that they could keep and they wanted to keep, and it made for a really tough decision. At least one. I don't think that that cutting Marcel Aitman was as tough a decision as John Gruden liked to say it was. I think that was. There's, he's just he doesn't provide anything unique I mean, to this offense. 
he made the practice squad, and I think he should. I, I predicted that he would. Uh, Keelan Doss was the guy that um, a lot of people were kind of up in arms about. I'm of two minds about that. What are your thoughts on uh, Keelan Doss? Well, when you look at the at the Raiders, they had zero in the way of legitimate threats at the wide receiver position last year. And when we looked at their roster in camp uh, at wide receiver this year, they had approximately 10. Uh, so I always knew it was going to be a real tough decision to get rid of four or five of these guys. 10? They're all really – well, when you look up and down, I'm, t- I'm counting guys like Rico Gafford. Um, you know, and guys like – even like Pearson now is, is, a, is a weapon on special teams. You know, he can play. He wasn't that great, but he can play. He he would have played on last year's team at some point during the season. He would have played. Um, so, But they had to get rid of several of them, and several of them went up on the practice squad. Um, Keelan Doss was obviously the hardest decision, but uh, when we look at the hard knocks tonight, which we, we'll get into later, he had uh, several key drops during the Seattle game, uh, and he had a lot of key drops during practice throughout the training camp. So I'm I'm not shocked that he was cut. I am a little dismayed about it because I think he has a ton of talent. Um, but I do think he ended up with a place where he should be, which is the Jaguars, because they are about three deep in the wide receiver position as far as real good talent goes. Um, and he has a lot better chance to break into that roster than he does in Oakland. Yeah, he had to make it. He had to make a decision for his career. And it kind of sucks. I, I kind of feel bad for him in a way because, you know, I mean, He's just it's just a timing. It's a bad timing issue. If he'd have been in camp with the Raiders last season, there would have been no question. He's a question. He would have made it over. There are a lot of guys. He might have been, you know, third or fourth receiver for sure on this on that team last year and would have moved up the depth chart quickly with the with the injuries and, and whatnot they had there. Um but he's just, you know, was caught in a numbers game in this situation and he has to go for his for his career interests, he has to go where the numbers are more in his favor. And I think, unfortunately, I think in some ways, I think Gruden might have kind of taken for granted that Doss wanted to be a Raider so bad that he's like, you know, if we if we, uh, if we cut him, we think he's going to clear waivers. And when he does, he'll resign because he wants to be a Raider. And then Doss said, "Well, no, because I gotta go where I have a ch- I have the best chance of breaking onto the roster." And you know, granted, he's he's still on the practice squad for the Jaguars. He's still not on there. They still have to call him up. And you know, as we know, people in the practice squad can be stolen away from it by any team, any time. But I think I think uh, Gruden was a little disappointed that uh, Keelan Doss said thanks but no thanks. And uh, that's kind of I think that's why. That's part of the reason why he kind of had that little, a little bit of a jab in a way. He said some nice things, but he also said that the tape, you know, everybody thought that he was a story. That was a story for you guys, he said. That's what the TV said, and and our tape said something different. So what? Your tape said something different than the fact that he that he led the team in 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 in, uh, in receiving. I mean, he, sure, he had a couple of drops. One of them was a really tough catch. So it's hard to say that was a drop. It was a, on the sideline. He had a dart. He should have made the catch, but it wasn't exactly an easy one. The other one was a flat-out drop. I mean, there's no question about it. But, uh, I mean, he did a lot of good things, too. And, and for what it's worth, 
and I don't normally put out more than one 53-man roster projection because I think it kind of defeats the purpose of a projection to put out more than one of them. But I put out one, and then the next week they had there were a couple of moves, including putting Doug Martin on IR, that really changed the like the way that and there were some question marks I had. And one of them was I had Keelan Doss not making the team on my first 53 man roster because of the numbers game, but just not just at wide receiver, but uh, of the whole 53 It's just like, you know, who, who else are you going to sacrifice to keep a seventh wide receiver or sixth? If you're not counting Dwayne Harris. And and that just uh, goes to show you the roster construction that Mayock and Gruden have done in fairly short order. Because there is a ton of guys that they have cut in the last weekend um, that would have easily made the team last year, but just aren't good enough to hack it right now. Yeah, the the, the defensive tackle position, and we'll get to that in a minute. But they, that's another one that was just just loaded with uh, with talent, and uh, and they put and it's one of those unfortunate like situations where. Where you had another undrafted rookie really shining, and of course, of course, he's at he's not at a position that they desperately need an undrafted rookie to really step up. He's at a he's at a position where uh, uh, where they're they're kind of jam packed. But uh, you know, like I said, I don't want to get ahead of uh, get ahead of ourselves. The Keelan Doss thing is it's unfortunate. Alameda native wanted to be a Raider, but he's going to make his career in Jacksonville. Um, Okay, so let's move on to the other pass catchers, the tight ends. Um, and really the question here was Derek Carrier versus Luke Wilson. That's what it came down to because we knew that Waller and Moreau were going to make the team. Um, I, again, incorrect. I, I went with Luke Wilson on this one, even though I was very shaky on it because you know, neither guy had really shown much. I, I honestly, I was thinking that they might not keep either one, and they might they might search the waiver wire to see if they could find somebody who who uh, could be an upgrade for for them because neither one of them really jumped out jumped off the tape to me. Well, about about maybe a month and a half ago, or when when training camp was in the first week, um, I I saw some chatter. I think it was on Twitter. Um, that the Raiders coaching staff absolutely love Derek Carrier. And no matter what you hear, he's safe. Uh, I can't tell you who said that or when exactly they said that, but I recall reading that. And I've sort of kept that in the back of my mind. Um, so, and I, so I predicted that Luke Wilson would be gone in favor of Derek Carrier, and you know that for a fact. Um, and so I'm not entirely shocked. Um, I, really, I, I, I did expect him to keep three. Um, because I remember John Gruden complaining so much when he was down several tight ends during his practice with the Rams. He's like, I can't even run my offense. So I figured they would keep at least three tight ends, if not all four. Um, so, uh, But I think Carrier and Moreau and Waller are, are probably the right choices. I think Waller is going to get, obviously, the, the majority of the playing time. And, uh, and Moreau will get some as well. And I'm, I'm very interested to see how Waller does in this offense. I, can be, I think he can be a serious weapon, um, both in real life and on fantasy teams as well. I, I agree with you on Waller, Waller, and I'm basing that solely on what I've seen in training camp. The dude is very dominant. Um, if, he can, if he's got the mental side of the game, he's got the physical for absolute sure. There's really no question. If, he, if he's got the mental side of it, he could be very dangerous because Jared Cook was a very smart player. 
he was very athletic and he was very smart. And that's how he was able to, um, you know, go on and become the Raiders, Raiders leading receiver last year and go to the Pro Bowl is because of that combination of uh, smarts and athleticism. Uh, but the thing, it's so funny you say that Derek Carrier was somehow safe. Just like, what the heck did Derek Carrier do to deserve to be safe? And the, fa- the, the reason I had Wilson making the team over to Car- Derek Carrier because there's a million-dollar difference in their salaries going into the season. That's, that's it. There's no dead money if they cut Carrier. They opted to pay Carrier a million dollars more than Wilson for what I don't really know. I mean, because Carrier was supposed to come in and um, offer a legitimate second option at tight end last season, and he did just about nothing. And then Darren Waller comes in and thoroughly outplays him, just instantly outplays him. And it's just like if Carrier had any value, he would have it wouldn't have been that much of a of a leap in production from one to the other. That's the way I saw it. But uh, apparently the coaching staff sees it differently, and, and we'll see if uh, Carrier can uh, step up and do something more. But uh, let's move on to the, the other blockers on the offensive line, the actual offensive line. Um, and I was – I really thought that – and I, I mean – I know Brandon Parker was a third rounder that they traded up for just last year, but man, has he looked bad? Oh my lord, has he looked just terrible? Practice preseason, I he looked as he has looked as bad or worse than he did last season. But they just can't give up on him. They just can't let him go. And and so instead, they have two tackles that. I'm sorry, four, if you count the starters, but two tackles. And usually you, you have a situation where they only have a one swing tackle. But they have 10 offensive linemen making the team, um, part because Gabe Jackson is injured. But to keeping two tackles when, you know, is, is just one of those things where, where they're just kind of refusing to give up on somebody after a year. And I don't know. Uh, it's just it, – it, Grude may have ra- raved about Andre James, but he's currently, if you think of Debbie as the backup center, Andre James is the third string center. Just these, those two moves there really catchers for me. Yeah, I, I'm not sure about the Parker move either. Parker um, was on the right side of the line when Nathan Peterman got hit, and he's partially, if not mostly, responsible for that happening. Um, and I haven't seen him make a play the entire preseason that was any good. Uh, and I have been watching. So I don't know what on earth the coaching staff sees in him. And frankly, I don't know what they see in Derek Carrier either. I just, I read that and I ran with it. Uh, but they see something in him. Maybe they see, if we develop this guy, we can trade him. Or maybe they see, uh, you know, if uh, if a tackle goes down, we're in, we're in uh, deep trouble. But in my mind, Brandon Parker is almost worse than not having a tackle there at all because he's actively making the team worse. So I really don't know what they're thinking here. Um, As far as the other backup guys, I I don't really have an issue with them. Um, Andre James is fine. Lester Cotton ended up on the practice squad. I think he's about on that level. You know, you can put him in there and he'll, he'll be all right. There's nothing spectacular, but he'll be all right. But Brandon Parker is actively awful. Uh, <laughs> and I, I can't see him staying on the team for very long. I don't. Does he have pictures of Mike Mayock or something? I, <laughs> I really don't know. 
That's just they they just don't want to give up on a player they just spent a they just traded up in the third round last year, which I ripped that when they did it in the first place. I mean, like, why are you trading up for a small school offensive tackle who had struggled against you know, against pass rushers when he actually faced them on the division one level? And it, it's it just was like it was weird then and it's weird now. And you just wonder when the, the experiment's going to end, I mean, especially considering David Sharp actually has looked. He's he's uh, he's really improved in his uh, his development over the you know entering his third season since they brought him back. But uh, yeah, and the Andre James thing, I can only my only theory on that is the fact that since they think Jordan Devy might win the starting guard job, they want an actual, they don't want him to be the backup center while he's being a starting guard. So while Devy is starting at guard, they want to actually have somebody who's simply their only job is to be the backup center. And that would be Andre James. Um, even though James did not look all that great. I didn't necessarily see, um, all the things that Gruden raved about, but uh, I'm not offensive line expert. He might, he's not either. Maybe <laughs> I don't know, but uh, but that's the only theory I can think of. Case then, as soon as Richie Incognito comes back from his suspension, um, then having James on the roster would make zero sense. So we'll see after a couple of games if if he's still around. On the roster, yeah. Once, um, I'm thinking when the John Gruden is going to be moving to Las Vegas here in about a year, and he really needs to understand the sunk cost fallacy, and he needs to stop throwing bad money after good with Brandon Parker. Yeah, that's 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 definitely the case. So let's switch on the let's go to the other side of that line with the other big fellas, and uh, let's look at the defensive line where they kept. Nine defensive linemen, and uh, and then promptly dropped one, and then resigned him. And Josh Morrow, which turned out to be a just a whole maneuver to, I guess, keep from Peterman. So they said, uh, "Wink, wink, nudge, nudge." Morrow, uh, you're cut. Uh, come on back now. Don't uh, don't go too far, because it's just like. Josh Morrow, he's uh, supposed to be a starter. Why is he being cut to sign a quarterback? But uh, that was why, I guess, you know, like you, I, I think they did it in a couple other places in the NFL as well. Well, I can, I can sort of understand why they would do that with Morrow in particular, um, just because he's a defensive end who does not rush the passer very much, and he's also a vested veteran with four years, so he won't have to go through waivers, and he can just be released and brought back immediately. Yeah, yeah. But he's not a guy who would be in danger of another team trying to poach him because he can't pass rush. Mm. So I think he's probably a guy that would be safe if the Raiders could say, okay, we're going to release you, and they would feel good that he would be there when they came back to him. Yeah, well, they, they would, I think they would feel good that he would realize his best, his best situation that was already had him pegged as a starter. Like you said, he's not some like speed rusher who other teams are going to be jumping on the phone to, to get him in the building. Yeah. That's a good point. And, and, and morals, uh, even have spoken to him, he's, he's got the right, he's got that kind of character. You could, you could see them, 
him being like, yeah, that's cool. I'll, I'll, I'm down for that. <laughs> he probably, he probably made some money out of the deal in some way, getting cut and re-signed, getting a new contract, kick him a few, a couple hundred thousand dollars, something like that. It's a, it's a good way to make a, make a few bucks in a couple of days time. <laughs> the, uh, um, I guess I, this was a, this was a, it's a tough call on this this defensive line because you had a situation where you had a, um, several defensive tackles who could have gone either way, and it was really between P.J. Hall, Justin Ellis, and Anthony Rush. And made this squad because let's be honest, he was a second round pick last year. Um, Justin Ellis was placed on injured reserve, and his uh, his season is done because he was placed on injured reserve before the cutdown. And Anthony Rush being undrafted free agent who pretty much dominated the preseason um, went slipped through waivers to the surprise of many and made it to the and decided even though he had a lot of interest from other teams uh, according to a source of mine he had as many as seven other teams calling him to join their practice squads and he decided to to stay with the Raiders. Uh, so that's kind of a coup on their part. They could have just as easily lost him if if uh, Rush was like kind of um, put off by being cut, or maybe he found a team that was closer to home or any number of things. You let him loose, and you take that risk that he's not going to come back. And he decided to come back. So they got a, got a little bit lucky in that. Yeah, I was pretty surprised honestly that they let Anthony Rush go. I felt he was the most dominant defensive lineman they had uh, in the preseason. And, and I watched a lot of preseason games, and there I can probably count on one hand the amount of defensive tackles I've seen with his ability. Even though he's playing against second and third stringers, just the amount of sheer size and speed and the strength and that combination that he possesses is a really, really rare thing to see uh, in football today. There's just not that many people who are shaped like him uh, who have his just sheer country strong strength i mean it's just ridiculous it's 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 beastly and so i'm I'm really glad he stayed with the team on the practice squad and i wouldn't be surprised if he's called up sooner than later i wouldn't be surprised if he's stolen by another team you know because that's also a possibility the, the raiders talk about you know well if he's raw you know and a lot of teams will see he's raw but they'll also like you said they'll see that that there's raw potential there. There's serious raw potential. Not, not no different than you know drafting somebody. You draft these guys that dominated the college level, and you see raw potential, and you and you draft them, and you develop them. You know I mean, this excuse that he's raw is he only goes so far because that's the whole thing that you always say about draft picks is you know you it's going to take a little bit of time. So why would you? Why would you make it? Why would you change your philosophy on that just because he's undrafted? It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But apparently, other NFL teams felt the same way, or he would have been claimed off waivers. But being that he's on a practice squad, any team can just decide um, can get an injury or or anything at any time and just decide. Oh, no, that's the guy you want. And he's just like that, and he's gone. That's it. And uh, so they better hope they they figure out what they want to do with him sooner rather than later because he'll get stolen away. Otherwise they, they brought in Corey Legion and uh, I pretty much knew the moment they signed him that that was, 
that was for sure. Well, of the two this year, I'd probably take Legion over Rush. But three years from now, that would be the reverse. I would I would take Rush three years from now over just about any of the defensive tackles the Raiders have currently on the roster. Um, well, except for maybe Maurice Hurst. I think Legion would be like 32 by then, so probably, yeah. But I like him a lot. He did some really good things with the Chargers in the last few years. He showed a lot of good pass rushing ability. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of Legion, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad he's on the team. Well, you know, kudos to the Raiders for being there, like to, just to, to bring him in the moment that he was healthy enough to be brought in because that was really what it came down to. You know, you don't often – you're not often able to to scoop up a – a seasoned, you know, successful veteran at any position this late, this close to the season, um, that's worth a damn. That, and it was really just a matter of he was taking. He took the most of the off season to to get right again from his injury, and the Raiders were there to catch him, like right when he was uh, healthy enough to do sign to the team. And they, I think they got a, they made a pretty pretty savvy move there being able to bring him in to the fold, not to mention. Yeah, I, I, I agree. A lot of the guys you would see brought in by teams in the last week of training camp are, are kind of no names, kind of guys that you haven't really heard of, but they're organizational depth and guys that a GM like Mayock would make his living knowing who they are. But, uh, but the normal person generally doesn't know who they are. Um, but Legion is a guy who you do know who he is because uh, he was a first rounder. Uh, the University of Illinois, and he's quite good. Um, so, yeah, absolutely, big props to the Raiders for bringing him in at that time. One wonders if they should have done the same thing with uh, with Brandon Marshall, waiting a little bit to bring him in, because he clearly wasn't healthy during the first part of camp. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, we're going to get to the, that linebackers next. So just, well, the last thing I was going to say about Legit is the uh, that he also brings the ability to to shed some some secrets from the Chargers, from their division rival Chargers, and he's already started to do that. So that, that's a, that's bringing him in. So you mentioned um, Brandon Marshall. Let's talk about those linebackers, and that, of course, was the shocking move of the group, um, not bringing Brandon Marshall back. And, you know, they featured it on Hard Knocks, the fact that he took the offseason – to get right. And, and he, in that conversation he was talking about, he was worried that it didn't even matter at that point, this late in camp or whatever, what he looked like that they had already quote solidified their opinion. And it's like, um, spoiler alert. Yeah, they already had. And that's just not fair. You know, it's not fair to sign a guy who's not healthy, have him not able to practice for a while and then kind of trying to work his way back. And you've already just made your mind up. You've already decided that he's just not—he's not—he's not the guy that that you wanted. He's not uh, as is as healthy as you want him to be. And it's like, well, it takes time to get healthy. You knew that. You knew that going in, and uh, it's just—it's just—it uh, just sucks. And they—they they only keep four linebackers, and which is a little bit shocking too. Well, they brought back Kyle Wilbur. They they cut him initially and they brought him back. I think it was kind of a similar situation to the Josh Morrow deal. It was kind of a cut and re-sign type deal. But uh, 
which is kind of funny considering <laughs> on that hard knocks there, uh, Paul Gunther said to Brandon Marshall as one of the reasons why they weren't bringing him back is because they're only keeping four linebackers. And then the next day they resigned Kyle Wilbur. It's like, well, so much for that. To, it's just, yeah, it just kind of sucks. You feel kind of bad for the guy. He really wanted to play for the Raiders. Yeah, they're keeping uh, Nicholas Morrow, and he's actually starting now. And they've got Markel Lee, who is backing up well, everybody, I think. Uh, and the, the only middle linebacker they have listed on the roster is, uh, sure that, is Vontae's perfect. Yeah, well, he's the only middle linebacker. Right. That's the only one and, they have listed on the death chart is him. And I'm not. I'm not even so sure that Nicola, that that Morrow is technically a starter because I think they're what they're looking to do. Probably, I mean, the league average about five years ago or something was like sixty percent. They were around sixty percent um, nickel defense, and I think they're up from that now. They're keeping few linebackers mainly because um, Morrow and Lee can pay, play special teams. It's just going to be Whitehead and Perfect out there most of the time, and. And they're just playing a lot of nickel. They're the Jorner's barely, barely ever going to leave the field, and he's the nickel corner. I think they're going to be playing nickel about 70, 75% of the time. And so, they'll, Moral be, running might... a they'll be running a 4 2 5 out there, uh, you know, against probably four wide offensive formations. Um, you'd think they'd want someone who could cover a tight end, but uh, I, hopefully, one of the safeties can do that. Yeah, well, that's what they're going to do. They're going to get that from the safeties. They're going to have uh, Abram out there running around trying to cover the trying to cover the tight ends, uh, and the you know short routes, and maybe uh, and to have Carl Joseph covering the deep, and that they, they um, and Morrow will play. I mean, I wouldn't expect him to play more than thirty percent of the snaps on defense, honestly, and that's kind of a. Uh, and and if one of those snaps is the first snap of the game, then he'll be credited with the start. But otherwise, I mean, that's basically what I would expect. I mean, I can't even imagine that Lee's going to barely see the field at all. He might be almost purely a special teams guy. I mean, if you think about it, if you look at the snap counts late last season, he had fallen off considerably. He and Jason Cabinda were – we're sharing snaps of both getting sometimes like single digits in percentage of, of the snaps. So, you know, they're just going to play a lot of, they're going to play a lot of nickel uh, and Nick, Nicholas Moore is going to come in for, you know, probably around 30% of the snaps. And that's, that's pretty much it. And you can have, you know, Kyle Wilbur and, and Markel Lee playing the special teams and, and I, Nicholas Morrow is going to is going to he plays a good deal of special teams as well. It's a bit of a shame, really, because I think Morrow played really well late last season at linebacker. I think he's a very talented guy. Um, not to mention, he's a great teammate. I mean, I I spoke to him during training camp for the podcast, and and he's uh, he's a great guy. He's very smart, and uh, and I think unfortunately it might just be a situation where he's just on the wrong team. Well, he just maybe just needs the right team to be able to see the field more than he's seeing right now, which is unfortunate because I'd hate to see him go. Yeah, Kevin is a guy that I liked a lot. Um, I saw him play a little bit at Penn State, and Penn State's a place where they really try to develop middle linebackers. Um, and I don't necessarily think Oakland is a place like that, um, but I, I do like what Kabinda brought to the table. I've always really been a guy who likes having that big, strong 
thumper middle linebacker uh, in the middle of your defense. And I've always felt that way because what do coaches say they want to do? What's their game plan? We want to run the ball and we want to play defense. Now, the best way to play defense is to have somebody who can stop the other team from running the ball like they want to do. And the best way to do that is have a giant, stiff middle linebacker. But in today's NFL, if that guy can't cover the tight end, if he can't cover a running back over the middle on a little slant pattern, then he's essentially useless because they have so much balance with pass and run these days. And and some teams even skew pretty heavily toward the pass. Um, and, And we'll do more of that in the future as college offenses start to leak into the NFL, as we've already seen with Kingsbury and, and even Sean McVay's offense, um, guys like Cabinda, if they can't cover, then they just don't have a place. Yeah, well, I mean, I was, I was mentioning Morrow. I mean, he's, he's good in coverage. And, and Cabinda, for his part, he, he thoroughly outplayed Mark Kelly this preseason. And I thought that you know, I, I just didn't really think they were going to go into this season without a backup middle linebacker. I mean, you can always have I mean, Markel can can back up. I mean, he can probably, in a pinch, back up any of the linebacker spots. But you know, he's in that aspect, he's a, maybe a jack of those trades, a master of none, to be certain. Uh, Kabinda was more of a he specialized mostly in the middle linebacker spot. He could probably play the other ones as well. I just thought that that uh, that was more valuable, but special teams was more valuable to them. And uh, they just, I think they're going to have two linebackers on the field so much that they figure they have Tahir and Vontez as the starters, Morrow and Markel as the back. is kind of just their special teams captain. You know? So that's what they're going with for now. And and linebacker has been a position uh, week for the Raiders for a very very long time. So it, it it is a little concerning when you see the lack of of emphasis and the lack of priority that the team puts in that position when people generally think of it as so very important, but apparently they don't. Well, what they do put importance on now. And the reason why there aren't all the linebackers is because they want to keep a lot of defensive backs, and they came out of the uh, they came out of the cut downs with count them eleven defensive backs on the uh, on the roster eleven, which is yeah, it's quite it's, it's quite a few. Um, they you know they quickly they, they put Isaiah Johnson on a partial season IR or IR with the potential for him to return. Have other than him, they have ten, um, and Dallin Levitt was the one that shocked everybody. But um, he's a special teams guy, and so they liked him for that. Um, as far as the cornerbacks are concerned, the big question was between Keyshawn Nixon and Nevin—I'm sorry, not Nevin Lawson—Nick Nelson. And <laughs> uh, watching that Packers game, whoo! Wow, did. Nick Nelson got smoked and Keyshawn Nixon looked fantastic. So um, if Nixon hadn't already beat Nelson for a roster spot, he certainly did in that game. Yeah. For a guy who was apparently trying to make a football team to have the performance that Nick Nelson put in against the Packers. Yeah. That's, that's going to do the opposite of what you want. That's about the worst you can possibly do 
if you are a bubble second or third string player trying to stay in one of the last spots on the 53-man roster. He essentially seals his uh, his fate as either being cut or put on the practice squad just with how badly he got toasted um, and just so e- how easily the receivers did so. Uh, it, it was just an awful showing, one of the worst I've seen in a long time, whereas conversely, Keyshawn Nixon looked basically impenetrable. Uh, you couldn't complete a pass on the guy. So they definitely made the right call there. Nixon absolutely proved himself and deserves to be on the roster. Cornerback is one of the deeper positions on this team, and I've been saying that since before training camp. I mean, just all the, the sheer number of guys that they drafted or signed as free agents, and they had from um, you know last season like Nick Nelson and stuff like that. That it was incredibly deep, and that was I was saying that when we had, we didn't even know the name Keyshawn Nixon. I mean, we, he had been signed as an undrafted guy, but he wasn't. He didn't. He didn't. His name wasn't any more significant than any of the other cornerbacks that they signed as undrafted free agents, like you know, Dylan Mabin, or you know, offense to him, or any of these other DJ Killings and Isaiah Langley, and all these other guys that they they brought in. And I would say probably halfway through training camp, we were still the the staff was you know I mean I Gruden was raving about Nick Nelson talking about I really like you know really like that guy he really like really looks good and, and Nixon I could tell that he was getting he he was holding his own but he certainly wasn't to the point where he w- he had secured a roster spot so for him for Nixon to to not only beat out Nelson but to to get a spot on this roster that was so very deep was a hell of an accomplishment. And, and to, you just watch him and and I can't help but wonder he, he played in the sec. How, how in the world did this guy not go drafted? Because he's not, he's not a project. He's ready now. And I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. Honestly, I don't think I've ever seen a guy um, so, just like burst onto the scene the way that he has out of a major conference and and he like this it, it's really really something it was really something to watch out of nowhere that he did this well it sort of reminds me of when Jalen Richard um was an undrafted free agent on Southern Miss but again that's Southern Miss that's not a not a power 5 conference he wasn't going up against Georgia every week he was going up against Louisiana Lafayette so it's not you know a great analogy, but but that sort of performance is what you have to do if you're an undrafted guy and you want to make a team, and he did it. Yeah, Jalen Richard is a fairly good example. I um, I I would my main stipulation would just be the difference in the positions you're talking about. You're talking about like a a little quick, speedy running back. Who they probably think, well, he's probably maybe he can't hold up against um, the 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 size and speed of the guys in the NFL. So he was a tryout player, in fact, and um, and but Nixon plays one of the toughest positions in football, especially in that in today's day and age, to be able to keep up with receivers when they get all the advantages on the on on the NFL field that they do. To uh, to do that was, I mean, what what a tough tough job, and so 
kudos kudos to the scouting department for for keying on him and for him coming in and just showing up big time so so early on but then there's the other the other defensive backs the safeties who mentioned Dallin Levitt I mean I don't think there was any other surprises there were you surprised at any of the other people they kept no no I mean people have been chattering about treating Carl Joseph all offseason long but I never truly believed that it was ever going to happen. I think they're going to give him another year um, to prove himself, to decide whether they're going to sign him long-term or not. I wasn't surprised at all about who the safeties were on this team. I think they all deserve to be there. Yeah, they, I mean, it seemed almost like a like a foregone conclusion to be Joseph and Abram starting and Riley and Harris as their backups. And that was, um, and I thought that was it. I thought it was just like, they're going to keep those four safeties and then like down Levitt, Really? I mean, I remember I, spe- I spoke to Eric Harris last year and I, I, I asked him point blank. Is there anybody, is there anybody in this camp that has really, really stood out? Of, you know, like flow really stood out to you. And he said down Levitt. But he also was his roommate in training camp. So I was like, well, I mean, you picked the easy one. you know. So I didn't really necessarily completely buy into what he was saying for that reason. But uh, I guess he was right. I mean, the uh, and we, when you're in a position like he is, an undrafted guy, and that goes for Harris or Levitt, the – the way into the way you break into this NFL is through special teams, and uh, and maybe maybe Harris impressed upon him that uh, concept. Maybe he knew already. Who knows? Well, you need guys like that. Those those real ballers on special teams. If you want to have a, a solid Good team, I, I was watching a video um, made by John Bluff of SB Nation. Shout out to him the other day on the 2006, I believe, it was 2006 Chargers, um, who had the top offense number one, and the number one defense, but missed the playoffs. And why? Because their special teams was that bad. They gave up kick return touchdowns. They gave up punt return touchdowns. They couldn't kick a field goal. They couldn't kick an extra point. They would miss a field goal and lose a game by a field goal. I mean, I think they went 9-7 and seven when by just the virtue of their offensive defense, they should have gone 14-2. and two. So you need guys like that who are going to step up on the return and on you know, the coverage teams. Uh, or you're you're going to have a bad time. Yeah, I mean, football is special teams, as they say, and there are a few guys that we know that the Raiders do not discount special teams. They have a few guys on this team that their whole purpose is to play special teams, and, and there are, are a lot of team, a lot of teams in the NFL that value special teams, and they have guys on there that are that see most of the snaps on special teams, but. But most, in most cases, they put most of their emphasis on their ability, uh, their ability, their actual natural position. Whether, if if you want to call it that, is you know, if like Dwayne Harris, did he did he make the team at all because of receiving abilities? No, he didn't. That's not to say he's a bad receiver. He could probably play a pretty decent bit of slot. A slot receiver if he was called upon to do it but they don't call upon him to do it they want him to do one thing and one thing only they want him to play special teams and because he does and he does everything on special teams. he led them in tackles last year he was their punt returner. he was their kick returner and he i mean he had that he had that that moment where he batted the ball or he like recovered the ball right before the goal line and stepped out 
so that the ball so that it was a penalty and they took they got the ball at the 40 and even the announcers were were fooled thinking that he made a mistake and he knew what he was doing all along I asked him right after the game if he did and he was just like yeah of course but he knew and of course there was the one where the against the Broncos where they batted it out of the end zone and he recovered it and returned it 99 yards for the touchdown I mean the the dude is a is a weapon be, above his shoulders on special teams and and you don't often see that usually special teams guys are all about how fast can you get down the field to cover that that kick and how um how shifty are you to be able to um and fast are you to get down the field on um i mean to return a kick or a punt but but he's got uh he's got that the, the mental smarts to to succeed on special teams and and the raiders value that can't uh, i'm with them I'm with him on that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. That play against the Broncos where he returned that punt all that way was just – and uh, the Raiders went on to beat the absolute pants off the Broncos. And without that play, maybe they would have started off a little bit slower. Maybe the game would have been a lot closer. Um, but with that play, I think it gave him a lot of confidence. And you need guys like that who can do that, who are smart like that, and they can, can make those sorts of plays. Um, you need those on all, on all levels. But special teams – is a lot more important than it's given credit for. I definitely agree with their philosophy. Uh, that Basashi is actually, I think it's probably one of the reasons why he, why he jumped at the chance to coach with Gruden again is the fact that Gruden basically says, okay, you get like three, you get like three players. You got Dallin Levitt, you got Kyle Wilbur, and you got Dwayne Harris. And those are guys that are, they, they, they're supposedly play other positions, but they're just Basachi's players. They're on this team because they're they're his guys, and uh, and if I were a special teams coordinator, I would be pretty stoked about a, a head coach giving me that kind of power as well. And, and so it's pretty it's pretty good to see. And of course, I mean, I'm not talk- when I say that I'm not talking about the kicker, punter, long snapper. I mean, obviously those are only the special teams guys, but those are those are their only their only positions. They don't have you know, positions they play on offense or defense. So, I mean, that's another position. There was no surprises by the time the cut down got here. We know it was going to be Daniel Carlson, a kicker, and A.J. Cole beat out Johnny Townsend um, in camp. Boy, did he beat him. Man, he beat him to a pulp. Um, It was all that Cole had to be was passable, like a marginal average punter to beat out Johnny Townsend, who was statistically the worst punter in the NFL, but he did a lot more than that. Cole, he looks like a real find. And, and uh, again, nice work by the scouting department for bringing him in. Because if you look at his stats, he didn't do anything impressive. I think he averaged like 42.3 yards per punt. But uh, those numbers can be a little misleading. They say that numbers never lie, but yes, numbers often lie. And his numbers, I think, I think were they were misleading because if you're on a if you're on a team that has a good offense and that offense marches down the field and gets the other team's territory a lot, a lot of your your punts are going to be shorter. That doesn't that that just means you have to be better at placing them. I mean, Raiders have had. You know Shane Leckler, but look at the time in which he was the the bulk of the time he was with the team. The team was so terrible that he had to just completely just blast the crap out of the ball 
and uh, rack up his average because uh, they weren't getting in the other team's territory very often. So anyway, I'm going on and out of the punter, which I think I wrote like a thousand word you had one article day on him. Three articles about punters, and it annoyed the heck out of people. But it was better than writing about Antonio Brown's helmet, that's for sure. Well, I wrote two, and then I had one guy had a guy in the comments complain that we had two straight articles on punters. One of them was the fact I think the first one was that Johnny Townsend had been signed by another team. So that's not that's just news, you know. It's not it's not like a long form article. And so just like, oh, okay, you're going to complain, complain about having two straight articles on punters. All right. All right. How about let's make it three? So I'm sure he'll enjoy if he listens to this. I mean, he knows who he is. I'm sure he'll uh, he'll enjoy us talking about him again. I can't remember what the what his name was, but he you know who you are if you're listening to this. Anyway, <laughs> so um, I guess you know the long snapper Trent Sieg beating out uh, Andrew DePaulo was a bit of a surprise because they made DePaulo the highest paid long snapper in the nfl last this time last year and then he got hurt after on his second snap of the season and seed comes in for him and then wins the job it's a crazy nfl's a crazy crazy place yep speaking of you better be ready yeah speaking of nfl being a crazy crazy place uh raiders had cameras in to document um well as much as the raiders would allow them to document and we just um, Tuesday night was the finale, the Hard Knocks finale. Um, and I've, I've watched all of them, but I haven't found them to be like all that fascinating, honestly. Uh, maybe it's just because I, I, it's kind of old news for me. I am like, yeah, yeah, I remember that. I remember when that happened. Uh, I remember that happening. I saw the back of my head a couple of times on the show. <laughs> but, yeah, for, uh, for people like I mean, did you, people uh, like you and I, who uh, who cover the Raiders professionally, none of this is new, none of this is novel, and none of this is particularly interesting because we've we've already written thousands of words about it. Um, but last year, when I was watching the Browns Hard Knocks, it was very interesting because I didn't cover any of that. Um, and also, I'm sure Mike Mayock kept a, a bit of a lid on what exactly was going on. We didn't see any of the oh, I mean, actual cut conversation. Do you think? I mean, wow, they controlled that narrative all the way. That He made sure that there were a lot of closed doors. Yeah, we, we saw a lot more um, as far as letting the cameras into the organization with the Browns and especially the Jets. Um, they, they, they were really open, but, but the saying goes, there are 31 teams and the Raiders. And the Raiders kind of do things their own way, and they always have. Uh, and, and the Raiders made it very clear from the very beginning that, that Hard Knocks was a nuisance, that they did not particularly want to participate in, but were being forced to do so. And so they, they did the whole show more or less under protest. And so the things that were a big deal on the media, in the media, were not big deals on the show. And the cameras were essentially not allowed to go anywhere that, that Mayock did not expressly want them to go. So it was a little less of an immersive experience than in past seasons. Yeah, the the fact that they in the past seasons you would get a lot more of camera in the room when the player was cut. Um, you saw a couple of those in the in the finale. I think they finally kind of 
um, let the camera in the room for the for the final cut down stuff like that. But you could tell um, Hard Knocks is really they're really having to try to try to cover these cuts without being able to actually you know get in there for the for the for the actual cut like when ron and ollie was let go i mean they they talked about him for a little and they put a couple of snippets of him being on last chance you and and about him kind of get about gruden ripping him but they did they weren't in the room when he was let go and that's just like a little something that you expect to see that was missing and the raiders were saying nope we're not we're not gonna let that happen and it almost seemed like you know gruden was in some ways toying with them and toying with the audience in a way how the players it's it's almost like the if they featured a player heavily in most cases that player was that player was gone i mean luke wilson he was featured a lot and he's gone you know ronald ollie gone yeah, the the thing about this show is you want to root for the underdogs and the guys who are long shots to make the team. Um, but as I said in the article that I wrote this evening, they're 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 long shots for a reason. You know, they're probably not going to make the team. They're just good human interest stories. But but if you saw a guy, it was probably foreshadowing that he wasn't going to be around for much longer. Uh, but we did learn a, a lot of pretty interesting things about the team and you know how it works and how practice is going. Um, we did see uh, John Gruden with his coaches carpooling to work in the morning at God knows what time. Uh, but And you live in California, Levi, and I don't. How much does gas cost in California that a man who has a $100 million contract and makes $10 million a year is, is not willing to pay the price for gas to drive himself to work in the morning and has to carpool with his coworkers? That was such a joke. I mean, I, I I think he was just kind of like he was just he's just bullshitting. That uh, there's no way that the reason they were carpooling is because of the cost of gas. Yeah, my tongue is planted firmly in my cheek as I ask this question. <laughs> but uh, it, it is fun to see them together, and it's fun to see John Gruden rocking out to Metallica. He, he's a uh, he's really been the star of the show because they haven't let the players be the star even antonio brown they really kind of tried to hide him not give a whole lot of tape on him um but gruden they put front and center as far as his coaching you know just his coaching style the way he teaches film just the way he deals with people and he's a very charismatic guy and he's he's, he's really sort of been the face of the show and I, and I think it's been more enjoyable than it would have been without as interesting a guy as he is gruden being the TV personality that he is hard knocks is able to survive uh, a lot on his personality alone. I think they knew that in some ways and Gruden is fine with being, he's like, put the cameras on me. Uh, I, you know, he has plenty of entertaining things to say, take the cameras off my players as much as possible off of any of those storylines or the, or whatever offense I might be running any kind of secrets or, or uh, any kind of narratives that you guys want to spin that I don't want spun, and just uh, and I'll be your your source of entertainment. And I think that they also uh, you could throw uh, Brenson Buckner into there too. He he turned out to be a bit of a character in his own right, and uh, they brought he became a bit of a star, if you will, on the show for his 
for the things that he would say to his players and whatnot. So they, they, they prefer it that way. If they can, they can let the lighthearted stuff be the focus. I mean, you saw a lot of Luke Wilson because he's a funny guy and he would, uh, and he jokes around all the time. So, so the, the coach would say, yeah, yeah, go ahead and mic him up, follow him around. He'll keep you entertained while, you know, so you're not bringing controversy to, to the, to the Raiders. And of course, Antonio Brown, um, the, I'm sure Gruden probably would have preferred a little bit less of the Antonio Brown stuff, but you're not going to keep Antonio Brown away from the cameras, especially when he's not even around the facility when he was, when he was off dealing with his foot injury stuff and his helmet stuff here, you know, you're just simply not going to keep him away from the cameras, but that was probably about as controversial as they got. Yeah. Tonight they actually featured him a lot more than they have been featuring him in recent episodes. Um, we saw him uh, working at practice uh, and just torching the Raiders' corners. Now, we've already discussed that the Raiders' corners and their defensive secondary are vastly improved this season from, from recent years, and it's very a deep position for the Raiders right now. But not one of them, except maybe LaMarcus Joyner on a good day, can hang with Antonio Brown. He's, he was just making circus catches, and he's just clowning guys. Uh, and, and if he can do that to the Raiders, he's going to be able to do that to basically everybody. Hey, you're preaching to the choir. I saw him do it in practice, and the only hey, we didn't get to see a lot of a lot of it. We got to see more. Actually, most of it we got to see in the off season before training camp. So Hard Knocks didn't even get a didn't even get to see any of that. We just saw basically and the reason we say maybe Lamarcus Joyner is because the he came in for all of one session in one day of training camp and that was it and it wasn't even team sessions it was one-on-ones and he had the ball thrown his way three times two of which were catches and the other was knocked down by by Joyner so our you know opinions of his performances at camp based on what you saw in hard knocks are formed entirely on those three passes. And they, they put him on slow motion just to kind of really draw it out, just to make it seem like they had gotten a bunch of footage on, on him, but really they didn't. They got about 10 minutes of, and three passes of him at, at practice and training camp before he left the field. And, uh, you know, they got, once they got a chance to get some more, once they, you know, they'd broken camp and they're back in Alameda for this last episode, they were all about it. That's why we saw him. You mentioned he was featured more than the other episodes because they were using absolutely every piece of footage they had of him on the field and off the field for the first four episodes. This last episode, they actually were able to get a pretty good amount of stuff of him on the field when his new helmet. And uh, and all the guys saying what it looked like looks like a mini fridge and stuff like that. It's funny stuff. Again, lighthearted stuff that you know that's the kind of stuff that John Gruden wants out there. All the jokey joke stuff to make every make the Raiders seem likable. Because in the end, hard knocks what they are is NFL propaganda. And I don't want to say that in a negative way necessarily, 
but that's really what they are. That's why they continue to get the contract with the NFL because their job is to come in here and make the NFL seem intriguing with the personalities and entertain people with them to get them interested and get their passion drummed up for the NFL season that's around the corner. And if they came in there and made the NFL look bad, the NFL would be like, wait a second, I don't think we're going to let you guys in here anymore because you're making this look like crap. <laughs> they want they want to see Antonio Brown's big personality, but mostly they want to see the likable side of him. Because if you have people like not rooting for him because they see him on hard knocks and they see he's a jerk or whatever, that does the NFL a disservice. They want to see his they, – they want you to root for him they want him, they want him to be the main character in a good way and you know have him joking around with teammates and and uh and have him like burning the defensive backs and have you be like oh I can't wait to see him on the field when the when the season gets here and so they were able to circle back around to that for this final episode after beating the uh dead horse of his of his feet and uh helmet issues for the first four episodes. Yeah, it's well, kind of good to see actual to, football. It seemed to wrap up the foot and helmet issues. We saw him getting a massage on a table at his home, and mm, his feet yeah. looked like they had all new skin, and he said, I'm trying to make calluses on this. Uh, he said it burned a little bit, but it didn't uh, impede him from practicing, so I, I don't think the feet are going to be an issue for uh, at all, essentially. Uh, and he said, I'm no. trying out this helmet. Uh, and he seemed to be fine in the helmet. So, I mean, as far as the feet in the helmet, the you know, the media made a big giant deal of it, but I think Hard Knock sort of went out of their way to say, these are not big deals, uh, and you're all insane. Uh, and so that, that was the message they were trying to put out there. Um, and I think they were pretty effective in doing so, because if, if they wanted to get me hyped for the season, well, well damn it, they did it, because I'm pretty hyped right now. Well, I... I... I don't know if the hard knocks people were trying to make the media seem like they were insane. And I don't think the media was insane. I think the, the Raiders were trying to get everyone to focus on the foot injury and say that it was a serious thing because um, other, the alternative is that he's just skipping out on something and, you know, he's soft or whatever when it comes to injuries and causing players to miss time. The, uh, the team wants everybody to, either think or realize that that injury is serious. And if it weren't serious, that player would be here on the field right now, practicing with his teammates. And the helmet thing obviously was an issue because the moment they said it wasn't when Drew Rosenhaus came out and tried to spin it like the very next practice, Antonio Brown wasn't on the field and Mike Mayock came out and gave his ultimatum. So the I don't think there was much overreaction going on. The I, I and I also believe that even the biggest supposed overreaction of all that he might retire or whatever if he doesn't get the helmet. I think that was I, I honestly believe that came from Drew Rosenhaus himself. I don't think Schefter would put that out there unless he got it from. Unless he got it from Rosenhaus, I think that 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 was their way of putting it out there to just the, the uh, a balloon to try to get the league to bend to their will. 
Like, let him have his helmet. He's very serious. He's so serious about it. He's very, very serious about this. And if he have his helmet, he, he might not even play. Um, that's how serious he is about this. And then, of course, immediately they back down from it when the NFL says, no, sorry, we're not having it. Uh, it it's, it's just a big, it's a big game, and it started to get really annoying. Um, the whole thing got really annoying. And we, of course have to cover every bit of news that comes out about it. And then, of course, the readers are, tell- are trying to shoot the messenger. Just like, look, we're just keeping you updated on stuff. If we didn't, if we didn't tell you, keep you updated on stuff, you'd go and find out someplace else, and then you'd hop in the comment box and you'd start talking about it anyway. So it's our job to keep you updated on things as they, as they develop, and that's what we're doing. Just well, I wrote okay. so many articles on that. And, and people were getting upset, and people were like, "Oh, it, I can't wait for the season to get here, so we don't have to talk about this again." And I'm like, "Well, this is this is news. This is happening. I have to tell you about it." But man, if I if I ever see the word "shoot air advantage" again, I'm gonna shoot myself in the face. <laughs> is it shoot? I was on a shut. Uh, whatever. I don't even give a shit at this point. If I see <laughs> air advantage again, it'll be it'll be too many times. Yeah, it 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 was. Uh, I didn't. I'd never even heard of such a of these this type of helmet or different types of helmets. This is the first time I ever had to deal with or talk about this type of stuff, and it 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 was really more just like I kept saying over and over again, just like really what I'm what was frustrating the most about this is what I want to talk about is I want to talk about Antonio Brown taking the field and playing football in camp and what he's doing in camp and actual football stuff like every other normal training camp. It's an interesting time. It doesn't need this extra drama. In fact, this other drama, and I don't want to use the term distracting because I think that's an overblown cop-out you know, trope that they tend to use that everything's a distraction, uh, yada, yada, yada. But it's uh, it was distracting me and those of us trying to cover actual football stuff that's happening because it's hard to talk about the, you know, little things and stuff that's going on in the field when like when the, there's this giant elephant in the room and everybody's talking about this one thing, just like, okay, I guess that's what we're talking about now. Um, it's like, there's a, there's like a really loud talker in the room and, and you can't get a word in because they're just so loud and they don't stop talking and that's Antonio Brown's drama with his feet and helmet were the loud talker and you just don't even bother trying to get a word in just just smile and nod for instance the Cowboys this year and you know the Cowboys are not a bad team but Ezekiel Elliott has been holding out until quite recently and that's all anybody wants to talk about they don't want to talk about defense they don't want to talk about the receivers who are hurt they don't want to talk about any of that. They want to talk about Ezekiel Elliott, and that's that's the cloud hanging over them. I mean, teams like that, you, you don't you don't get to talk about how good the actual team is or what the actual team is doing. You have to focus on this one stupid thing that's going to resolve itself. But until then, you have to write about the thing. All right. Well, I think we're I think we're focusing too much on this. Yeah. No, it's all right. We got a vent. You know. I mean, we. Uh... We get we get frustrated too. The fans get frustrated with the reading. We get frustrated about writing it. We gotta we gotta vent and get it out there. 
Oh, speaking of getting things out there, um, we were talking about hard knocks. Our Evan Grote, our uh, one of the writers, uh, and his podcast, uh, Just Pod Baby, was featured on Hard Knocks tonight. Uh, there was a little segment there where you heard heard people talking from you know podcasts and on radio, and he got I think two or three little snippets of of his show. Uh, on the um, when they were talking about like the 53 and ro- roster cut down and stuff, and I thought that was pretty cool. They got a little credit in the credits. He's he's pretty stoked about that. Yeah, I was pretty happy his for him. Name, his name was there at the end, Evan Groten, and the Just Pod Baby. That's got to be pretty cool for him. So, so shout out to Evan. Come out with a podcast, and we would have gotten on the show. I know we we should have <laughs> made a podcast, but we got busy. Instead, we're sitting here. Pimping somebody else's podcast, it's on our network though. So you know we're all we're all in this together. So and, and we love Evan. We support him. So congrats to Evan Evan Groats uh, Just Pod Baby on the Silver and Black Pride Podcast Network. This is the Silver and Black Pride Cast, which is the flagship uh, podcast, but. No, we can't. Uh, we can't take all the glory. We got some pre- pretty good podcasts on here, clearly, because we're being featured on HBO shows. So you know, we're big time now. We are. We're big stars. Or or Evan is. So, again, congrats, congrats, Evan. Maybe maybe uh, I've been a guest on his show. Maybe we'll have to have him as a guest on our show. It happens. I guess you'll all just have to put up with me and Tyler. Um, and I guess we'll talk to you on the flip side when there's, which I think later this week, maybe we'll, uh, we'll see about previewing the Broncos. Yeah. we got a big game coming up, so we got to talk about it. All right. So stay tuned for that. And we'll talk to you then on the silver and black pride cast.